Today's episode is brought to you by Eschatonic Modular. Eschatonic Modular is solely focused on the design and development of the finest, sexiest, and easiest to install modular synthesizer, cabinet, hardware, and power solutions for DIY and professional case builders. For more information, go to eschatonicmodular.com. That's E-S-K-A-T-O-N-I-C modular.com. Hello and welcome back. It's been a really long time. I feel I feel kind of weird actually doing this because my wife's sitting behind me, and uh, right now technically I'm talking to no one. I'm talking to her, but I'm not talking to her. I'm talking to you, but you're not listening to me talk right. You know how time works. Anyways, it's good to be back. It's been a while, um, and I'm just getting over a cold, so that feels extra weird. And I've been doing this during the day you know for the past three months so i haven't i haven't actually had to talk to myself in front of anybody in a while so i feel very rusty and and self-conscious but i did get figured out uh i did get figured out how to use the headphone jack on my playstation controller so hannah is now watching tv with my headphones on so hopefully she can't hear me rambling i'm just gonna pretend she can't because it'll make me help me get through this easier Speaking of PlayStation, I've been playing a lot of games lately over this uh, past few weeks. It's been a lot of fun. I beat the new Doom game. Uh, tried to watch the new Doom movie on Netflix. Turns out you can't make a movie about Doom that is uh, anything like Doom and good. Uh, I got Hannah into Final Fantasy X, which I'm really excited about because she's not really a gamer at all. Um, and I've been playing Dragon Age Inquisition quite a bit lately. So it's just been a real video game frenzy over here at PodMod headquarters. Uh, but that's all I will say about it because there's probably a lot of you out there who couldn't care or could, they couldn't care less. That's a hard one. I always have to think about that one. Anyways, I got this new sweet microphone. I hope you guys can notice, uh, maybe some added texture to the dulcet tones of my voice as I talk like this in the microphone. One of the bad things about it is, is it is more sensitive because it's just better and it picks up more of my noisy neighborhood. So hopefully we'll get that sorted out quickly. What else is there to talk about? Just a few more things. My new album, Music to Come Down To, is out on Flag Day Recordings. Still some on cassette left. So please head over to flagdayrecordings.bandcamp.com. Thank you all who have got it so far and have sent me nice messages about it. It means a lot to hear from you. It was mastered by the one and only Nathan Moody, so you know at least that aspect of it sounds good. And if you're in the Seattle area, I dropped off four copies at Patchworks. So there's a blue, there's two blues and two purples at Patchworks. So if you want to go down there and support our local synth shop here in Seattle, you can pick up a copy of my new album down there while you're at it. Um, or if you just want to support Patchworks and buy some synths and not my new album, please go to patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Um, speaking of Seattle and synthesizer stuff, this is a synthesizer podcast after all. After Later Audio, Lenny and Clarissa, good, good pals of ours, just hooked me up with almost 120 HP of, uh, of their line, their new heritage line, um, stuff that hasn't been released yet and stuff that is already out. And I will say that this is, this is something to be very excited about. Um, a, like a full synth voice is on its way and a full affordable synth voice, which 
with uh, some really cool features. So look forward to some demos coming out about that soon. Um, I'm just sitting here staring at my Nita Boardworks case that has just almost a, like a pretty much a full row of these uh, After Later Heritage Line synthesizer modules in here, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Have I said Happy New Year yet? Happy New Year, by the way. We're almost five minutes in, and I haven't even said Happy New Year. Uh, like many years, I have <laughs> health health goals as my resolution, um, but I am three or four days depending on if you're listening to this or if I'm saying it right now, in the past, which is your present, which is my future, um, I haven't had a cigarette. So please encourage me. Uh, if, if you have some tips on how to quit, I, I'm, I'm open to hearing it. Um, I'm just, I'm so ready. They're gross and they're bad for you. What else? We rearranged the living room. That's probably not that that fun of a story, but I'll post pictures about it because it actually looks pretty cool. And uh, my friend David Lutz gave me some new uh, photo shooting lights, like lights for photo shots, shoot, photo shoots. So uh, hopefully I'll have some cool videos coming out soon. Um, be on the lookout for the After Later stuff. Uh, Zoya from Empress. I'm still wrapping my head around this amazing, amazing machine. And uh, we've got some acid rain technology stuff to look at. And Div Kids sent me that Oct. Uh, LFO module that he did with Instro. So yeah, lots of fun stuff to start 2020 off with. Just a few more things. Uh, thank you to everybody who has supported me on Patreon over the past almost two years. It's meant the world to me. I really, really, really appreciate it. And if you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash modular modcast. However, if you want to spend your extra money, um, a little bit more consciously right now. Our mates in Australia could really use some help. And uh, I have been looking around. I like to, to vet where I donate my money and I have not come, I haven't, I haven't come to the, a conclusion yet on what I feel is the best uh, foundation to donate to. So I'm still researching that. So I can't, I'm not comfortable to endorse one on the show yet, but I trust all of you can make that decision for yourself. So I just wanted to put a friendly reminder out there for us to keep them um, in our thoughts, in the action part of our brains, you know, and, and, uh, and, and help donate some money because it's, it's a bad scene down there. And I realize or apologize that it might be a little tacky to be like, hey, I don't, I haven't done the research yet on what the best way to donate is. But this is all very new to me at the time of me recording this. And uh, I would rather say something than nothing at all. So uh, I'm not trying to be lazy and be like, you do it, but, um, uh, you know, but you do it. On a lighter note, uh, everything that you've been hearing over my ramblings today uh, are tracks from the new Eric Schlappy album. I just got it on cassette. I'm really, really excited. I uh, actually haven't listened to it yet since, uh, I mean, just now loading it up, but I just got the cassette. The album is called The Doomed City, and you can get it on cassette at uh, ericschlappy.bandcamp.com. Um, yeah, it's really hard to stop talking once you get going on this new microphone, but I've got all the time in the world to do that. Uh, let's get into a demo and then we'll get into this chat with Alex from WMD. Uh, thanks again, Alex, for coming on the show. It was an awesome, awesome conversation. Um, and I look forward to having another one with you soon in the future, but yeah, let's do it. All right. Today we are going to talk about the switchblade from... Acid Rain Technology. The Switchblade is a compact three-channel switch and mixer. Each channel can be set to switch between or combine two channels of CV or audio with either latching or 
momentary operation. Each channel can be controlled with a trigger, latching, or gate momentary, or their respective buttons can be used manually um, during live performance. So this thing's super useful. And what I was thinking, what I wanted to try to do with my first like real patch with it was, could I set up a cool drum beat that, uh, maybe was 64 steps long and, uh, you know, two patterns, uh, out of, out of two different gate outputs, um, controlling a kick and a snare. And then, uh, then could I use the third channel to throw some, uh, modulation source, a couple modulation sources in to, um, you know, affect those drum beats. So what I did was I took Erica drums, ran it into herb verb, used two gate outputs on my performer sequencer and, uh, basically made like a verse chorus type thing. Um, and then I made a third sequence that's also 64, um, steps long that only hits once at the very beginning of the sequence. And that's going into the switch, um, input of the two channels. I've got it molted. So that way I'm just getting one drum pattern that switches into the other and back and forth every 64 steps. So let's just listen to that dry really quick. So this is kind of like the chorusy part. And you can also hear the, the talco, T-A-L-K-O from Flaxus in the background. So here we're going to change to the verse. Back to the chorus. So that's just that's just gonna loop like that all day long. Um, so let's turn this uh, the mix up on this. Um, let's stop it really quick. Let's turn the mix up on the herb verb. And now I've got the third channel um, receiving a, a slower envelope from Maths, and then a really fast LFO from the Angle Grinder. And it is switching with that same molted uh, gate out from that 64 se uh, step sequence with just the one hit at the beginning. Um, so I've got the slower envelope going into the pre delay of the herb verb for like the, the verse or slower drum beat, and then the fast LFO from Angle Grinder switching to that into like the chorusy part. And that's where it gets kind of uh, almost Aphex-y. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to fade in a signal after it goes through a few times. I'm also, I've got this, uh, an auxiliary send going to the Pura Ruina from uh, Noise Engineering, and I'm using the Chrono Blob 2 as well. So just to give it some more life in the drum patch, but here we go. So that's that slow envelope from Mass controlling the pre-delay, and here we're about to switch. And there's the faster LFO controlling the pre-delay. Now I'm going to fade in this Pura, Pura Ruina signal that's going into a disting reverb. So yeah, just a weird little thing that I made uh, using the Switchblade, one of a million ways you could use it. Please go to Acid Rain Technology to learn more about the Switchblade. We're going to do a demo similar to this later, but with uh, a, a melody. Um, but first, let's, uh, let's chat with Alex from WMD. Sweet. So, Alex Anderson, a.k.a. Nasty Nachos. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely want to get to WMD and and all that stuff, but let's let's just start with you. Are you from Colorado originally? Yeah, so I grew up um, in a town called Loveland. It's um, about sixty miles north of Denver, close to Fort Collins, the college town. And, okay. Um, yeah, I moved to Denver. I mean, I graduated high school, and three days after, I moved to Denver and have never been back. <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, nice. I've been back to, to visit and stuff, obviously. But yeah, I, I've just right, I've right. been in Denver ever since. And yeah, this is my home. Okay. Is um is Fort Collins where Colorado State is? Yes. Okay. The green, uh, green and yellow? Is that the colors? I don't yeah, know yeah. It's like green and gold. Yeah. I think I almost applied there for grad schools, maybe why I remember. Um, so was your town pretty small? Um, it's, it, it was, uh, I think, about 50,000 when I was in it, when okay. I was living. And then I, it's grown a lot. I think they're at like 100 or 150 now. So, okay. but okay. yeah, so it's relatively small. small town. And then where I grew up was actually kind of in the country. So I, um, I was out on a County road about 15 miles from town. And, um, I grew up with lots of people that either lived in the, in the Canyon. So like right at the foothills. So there's a, the big Thompson river goes up to Estes park and lots of my friends lived in the Canyon. Lots of my friends lived in town. And then I kind of lived in between, um, and I lived uh, I lived in between two like livestock farms on land that's never okay. really been farmed before. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 I was wondering, um, I wanted to talk about where you grew up and, and where in Colorado, because I'm, I'm from a little mountain town as well. So I thought maybe we'd have some similar, uh, background stories. Oh, totally. Keeping, keeping ourselves entertained in high school of driving around on dirt <laughs> and logging roads and finding secret places to smoke weed and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I learned how to drift at a very young age. Um, I uh, was just telling my dad, I was like, I, I learned how to drive a stick with you when we were driving home from this Leonard Skinner concert. And I was like, well, actually, that was when I was driving with you, but I had older brothers, so I learned how to drive stick at a, let's just not talk about it anymore. (laughs) 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 Kind of tell my dad's stories and stuff. But yeah, I had had dirt bikes growing up too, so, and we had a little bit of land. So when I, like in elementary school, my brothers were older, so they had to wake up earlier to go to middle school, and I would wake up with them and then just go like rip a dirt bike for an hour before I had to go to school. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I had a Yamaha MX-80 when I was like in third or fourth grade. One of those oh, tanks, yeah. you know, like when 80s were like, you know, three feet off the ground. Yeah, um, yeah. My dad built me this little track in the yard and I hit some whoops that uh, put me on my face. And that was kind of my the end of my the motorcycle end, yeah. career. <laughs> I mean, right, like I ride an enduro around every once in a while. But right. Yeah, like, um, so growing up out there probably not a lot of electronic music fans no yeah i mean i i got into electronic music at a uh at a pretty late time and and um so i grew up with uh punk rock and ska music and you know my parents were into country and uh country western and and um uh like you know, classic rock and things like that and bluegrass. So my parents were really into bluegrass. So I went to a lot of festivals and things like that with them. And, uh, my brother, oldest brother played bass. The middle brother got a guitar. So I had to figure out how to play the drums. (laughs) And that was kind of like how I got introduced to playing in bands and, and doing things like that. And then as they graduated high school and went moved away and went to college and in different states I kind of had to figure out how to uh cover the different parts because we would all we'd play all the time and -hmm. I was in bands and stuff and I'd play with other people but when I was home alone I had to figure out how to do it so um I'd 
I'd either steal my brother's guitar whenever I could or whatever I could do. And um, after a while, I got my own. I got my own bass. And my first, like, multi-track recording was I had a tape recorder, a mixer, and a mini-disc recorder. You remember mini-discs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I had, like, a... Um I had a red one. I don't remember the brand. It might have been Fostex. Yeah. So I could record, you know, I could record the drums and then play the drums through the mixer into the mini disc and and re- record the bass and then record it back into the tape player and kind of do a ghetto multi-track until I got a Fostex recorder. Um, mm-hmm. After my parents were like, oh, this is actually like he's actually doing some like cool stuff by being able to do this um but yeah it wasn't until i was in college and i was in i was playing in this math rock band and um it was awesome it was a really fun band but the guys i was in the band with were um slowly losing interest and getting into other things and so um what I ended up doing, or so one of my friends and I, he he had a 707 and an MG1, and that just changed everything. Right on. Yeah, I was I was actually in grad school when I really dove into electronic music. Um, but I want to go back. To, I'm just curious. I, everything that you're talking about makes me feel like we're probably close to the same age. What were some of your pop, punk and ska bands? Oh, man. Uh, Real Big Fish was just like... Dude, me too. <laughs> yeah. So my oldest brother is in a band now called Half Past Two. They're in Sandy, or they're in uh, Orange County, and uh-huh. they've had... I think this is going to be their third album, and it's produced by David Irish, who produced... Uh, I think that's his name, who produced all the Real Big Fish albums. Nice. And their first record was produced by Aaron Barrett. Um, oh, nice! <laughs> so they're like they're keeping the dream alive, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, that I can't shit. believe uh, Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Goldfinger, Lagwagon, Melancholin, uh, you know, No Effects, of course. Anything yep. skate punk, you know, anything. That yes, was exactly. At the skate park. Yeah, dude, fucking uh, turn the radio off and why did they rock so hard? We're just like <laughs> so important to me in middle school. I just love yeah. that shit. And yeah. it's funny, like I can't listen to anything that they release now and like really enjoy it. Um, right. But I can still enjoy the hell out of like some nostalgia listens to some of the older stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I'll still do that every once in a while. Uh, and then, yeah, the Aquabats are were huge (laughs) i just like and i I love that they've got like a kid's show now and all this stuff i had no idea that when i was a kid i didn't know that that's what they were gonna go for but Uh uh-huh yeah right (laughs) yeah i saw i actually saw goldfinger and real big fish together oh yeah um, in seattle i've seen i think i've seen real big fish three times um yeah, super into them. I even got a trumpet in high school because of it. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah so what, my middle brother played uh, played trumpet, too, so we he would come in and, and guest horns in my pop punk band. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's it's funny. Uh, it's funny to think like country like country boys, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, mountain mountain town kids end up in the Eurorack world. There's I don't think. Not many people from my town, actually zero people from my town in high school are into, you know, yeah. even electronic music. Well, maybe a couple, but no one in Eurorack for sure. Right. Yeah. One of my friends uh, that I grew up with and like we skated and stuff in high school and he played in some bands and stuff. He started making dubstep 
and uh, mm-hmm. now and now that's what he does. His he goes by Kill Smith, and okay. um, he he like plays with Mr. Bill a bunch. So he's not into. I don't. I don't think he's quite into Eurorack yet, but he's playing with people that are. So they're okay. doing a tour together or some shows together, and they go by Kill Bill. And, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that'll be. That's pretty cool. Um, I always like look back at those days and that kid's crushing it. Um, but yeah, as as far as I know, I don't know anyone that's really into the Euro rack scene from where I'm at, where I'm from. Yeah, and I'm not like saying that as some sort of like gloating thing. It's more like I like to think of maybe just showing a, a like a little picture or a snapshot video of my system to like 12 year old Tim yeah, <laughs> and, and be like, this is what you're going to be into. And him just like probably like crying being like, no, you're not listening to really fish anymore. Yeah. Um, um, what else was like, I was, I was going to ask something else along these lines. Um, shit. Oh yeah. Uh, do you still skate? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I still skate Did you get out of much, it? but yeah. Yeah. You know, I got out of it for like 12 years and I just recently bought a skateboard and been hitting the park every once in a while. And it's, uh, it's definitely dangerous as a overweight 35 year old guy, but it's so much fun still like just to carve a bowl. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my thing. I, I have a mini ramp in my backyard, um, but it's only like two feet tall and it's two (laughs) and a half feet tall. So the you would think that it's really like not that dangerous, but if your trucks get hung up, you're just falling to flat. And yeah, I took I did that a few times, and now my mini ramp has been rained on a bunch because I haven't taken it that seriously <laughs> after just falling <laughs> and not being able to walk straight very well afterwards. <laughs> yeah, Have, did you meet Ellison when you were out here from Waveform? Yeah, yeah. so I've him and Ellison I go skating. Okay, we go skating uh, every once in a while. He's like my skating buddy. And we've talked about it a lot. Like, there's this weird, if it's too small, it's just as scary as something that's too big. Yeah. Like, a two-foot two foot little quarter, like, that scares the shit out of me. Right. Like, I want three and a half feet. That doesn't yeah. go vert with a nice little coping. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's a couple ramps in town that are really nice. And then there's some that just, you know, the, cop- the coping's just disproportionate to the rest of the ramp. And... I mm-hmm. go to this indoor park and that's how theirs is. It's like, it's such a beautiful ramp, but the coping is so big that you just have to like jam up onto it. Yeah. That's, that's the, the park that Ellison and I go to just here by my house. There's like, there, there's this bowl that it's like four feet deep at the top and then rolls into probably like six or seven feet. And, uh, the half pipe part of the bowl in the shallow end, the coping seems like it's, three and a half inches in diameter. It's just like this big metal thing. And I just, it scares the shit out of me. So I don't even mess with it. Right. Um, But I, I am, I just, uh, I stuck, I stuck a a 50, 50 stall on like a, a four foot quarter the other day. And I was pretty excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's, it's cool that we're all like either still doing it or getting back into it. I mean, the, I remember when my, my older brother, started getting back into it because of tired skateboards and that yeah. that company has an Instagram and their whole thing is that they don't have like a pro team. They don't have like a, um, it's, it's just guys like sliding curbs and it's, Oh dude, I need to, I need to hook up with those guys. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's just like, it's, um, you know, some of the times there's just like a, a 40 year old or 50 year old dude who just looks out of shape and he just like does like a, a 
360 flip in the grass and you're like oh yeah dude right on yeah (laughs) (laughs) dude so that's the funny thing is um i've you know since i've gotten back into it over the last like four six months when i go to the park I, I, you know, end up talking to people closer to my age and there's, you know, guys in the, a lot of them are in their forties and some of these dudes are still like ripping, like yeah. getting serious air and doing some, some shit that's kind of blowing me away. And I was also thinking like about, I, I teach night classes uh, at this electrical mm-hmm. apprenticeship. So I have a bunch of students who are all adults and I hear them talking about Pokemon and taking it seriously. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh shit. Like, like, by our generation, we're like adults, but we still do this. You know, we're still doing the stuff. We, yeah, exactly. We still skate and we still play video games, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of funny. Um, okay, for everybody who's like, "Fuck, stop talking about skateboards." We'll move <laughs> on. Um, <laughs> you get how did you get hooked up? Yeah, me too. Actually, okay, one more thing. Allison and I. This isn't an official announcement because we haven't done anything to make it happen, but we're seriously considering um, renting out one of our indoor parks here and doing a synth skate oh, uh, man. event. Count me in. And having pe- I know. I was just going to say we'll have to have you come up because I want to have people play and then um, have people skate. So uh, awesome. If that sounds interesting to you as a listener, let me know because as of right now, we know of like four people who are into both synths and skating up here. So yeah, I think Tony <laughs> Make Noise would be down. He just, I mean, he just hurt his ankle, but uh, he's he's all about it. Yeah, yeah. I, he uh, didn't he like fuck up his shoulder pretty bad like a year and a half ago too skating. Oh, I probably, but yeah, just recently <laughs> he just rolled his ankle pretty bad and he's in a boot now. So it's, he's, oh, he's bummed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't been in a few months because, uh, actually like, so the day I stuck that 50, 50, um, I was also like relearning how to catch just like baby air off of this pyramid in the middle of the bowl. And I did it did my run and it was great. And then I just started walking, you know, to get out of the, get out of the bowl. And, uh, my back just like seized. Yeah. And I couldn't walk. Actually, Ellison had to carry my shit to my car for me. Oh, crazy. Uh, Yeah. So I've been kind of scared to go back, but, um, yeah, it's, there's, it's dangerous skating as an old man. Um, not calling Tony old. I'm speaking for myself. Um, we're all there. So how did you, (laughs) yeah. Right. (laughs) How did you get hooked up with WMD? Because you're kind of like the uh, the face or brand ambassador or uh, I don't know. I think a yeah. lot of people picture you when they picture WMD, at least the modular side, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's um, it's definitely developing into that. I'm doing all the videos and um, trade shows and things like that. Um, so basically I had a friend who I was in rock bands and stuff with and he worked for WMD and he was a soldering guy. And so he did, um, he worked for a long time and then his band and his band is like his, is his family. It's his, uh, two cousins that he's in the band with. They moved to Seattle actually. And so they, um, so he stayed here for like six months and then just couldn't take it. So he moved to Seattle and he gave me a call and was like, do you want, do you want a job? Cause you know, we're going to have an opening. And I was like, yeah, for sure. So I did, uh, I learned how to solder and I was Mm -hmm. just the soldering guy for a while or one of the soldering people. And, um, I did that for, 
I probably like six months and I started in, in William's garage. So it started out in uh-huh. a 400 uh, square foot garage. And then we quickly moved, we had just started taking on the contract manufacturing. So we had quickly moved to a, uh, 1400 square foot facility and William was super busy and we were just about to release all the WMD SSF stuff. And I had just started getting into modular, like maybe six months before my friend called me another guy that I had met through the music scene, saw me playing. I was in a band called man cub at the time. And what we, <laughs> what we were doing was just like, um, uh, all guitar pedals. So when we played our live show, we had loops saved on loop pedals and then those would play. We'd sing through a bunch of pedals and we'd just make a bunch of noise. So it's kind of like a holy fuck meets like Mastercraft kind of thing. Okay. And um, that's what we were going for, at least with like Neon Indian Chill Wave thrown in there every once in a while. And um, how we did everything is we'd record the the 707 into a loop pedal and then we'd record the MG1 on top of it and then save a loop. And then that mm-hmm. was like, that was part number one. And then part number two was the next loop. And so we had to memorize the numbers of all the loops. And those were like our clips in Ableton. And then I had a ton of people being like, dude, you need to learn how to use Ableton. Like, this is ridiculous <laughs> how you're doing this. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I figured that out, started working in Ableton, started doing stuff like that. And then one of my buddies who had seen us play like that was like, if you're ever interested in this modular thing, let me know. So I, I bought a happy ending kit and he gave me a few modules. And so I was learning how, how everything was working together. And we were about to put out this WMD SSF line in the monolith keyboard. And William asked, or I asked William, why aren't you making videos for all this stuff? Cause I, you know, it's like, we were pretty much just word of mouth at that time. The scene wasn't as, it wasn't as competitive and it wasn't as like, um, there were no YouTube influencers or anything like that yet. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, I think div kid was around doing his thing, but that's like kind of the only person I can really remember doing it at that level then. And so he was like, Oh, I just have, I don't have time. Do you know how to make videos? And I was like, well, I, <laughs> I took like video class in high school and I've messed around with final cut pro. So yeah, yeah, I can do that. And, um, so if you watch the WMD SSF videos, you can hear it in my voice. I'm so nervous. And I like <laughs> wrote down every single thing and I made voiceovers that I just literally read. Like this is this goes into this and this is how this works because I was so worried that if I said something wrong that the Muff Wiggler community would just tear me apart. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think that that's a big thing going into this. A lot of people are intimidated not only by the 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 gear but by the people in the scene and um i mean i didn't even read anything that made me nervous people just told me that people were like really vicious so i was really worried about it and so i started doing um and that's how i learned i started doing those videos and that's how i learned like a ton you know teaching people is the best way to learn and um slowly but surely i started building up my system i bought a monolith which gave me all the modules I needed for like that kind of voice. I still use those every day. Um, I just take, I, they're not in the keyboard anymore. They're in my six U. And then, um, yeah, after a while I started getting more and more ideas about what we could build and what we could do. And slowly, but surely I kind of, 
um, not only took over doing all the marketing and, and stuff like that, uh, William had me start doing sales and stuff. And then just more and more, I mean, I just took on more roles as, as I got more comfortable with each one. And then now, um, as far as like design and stuff goes, it's, it's been really cool because I've been a huge, I've been a huge part of everything, all the drum lines, the Metron and Volterra line, uh, the overseer and muscle stereo stereo effects for the mixer, all of those I've had a I've actually had a of a, a large influence on, which just feels really good. Wow, yeah. So you've got you've got a pretty uh, unique vantage point, I'd say, right now, because you've got your you got your hands in a lot of the different pots of the scene as far as and, and, and on the industry side. So you you might be an interesting person to just kind of an interesting brain to pick as far as like because you're in the sales side and you're making the videos, marketing and you're designing stuff and you're always out at all the shows and stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm just curious what you think of how the scene has grown and, and where do you think it's going? That's, uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think about that every day. I think that that's kind of one of the things we talk about the most probably. Um, as far as being marketing, I kind of am the only, I am the only one actually actively working on marketing. And then I'm talking to the software engineer and, um, and William and everybody at the company a ton about what they, you know, what they think we can do to get ahead and, and do these things. And, um, as far as the scene growing, it's been really interesting because at shows, you know, at, at trade shows, it used to be everyone was just telling people what this stuff is and why there's cables hanging all over the place. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and now it's, it's, there's more and more people walking up to us being like, I have three of your modules. Tell me which other ones I need. Or, you know, um, I've heard of you guys, but I've never, I've, I haven't used any of your stuff or, you know, we've got quite a few people now that are just like, you guys are taking over my case. But, um, we've got a lot of people that are coming up and being like, I play guitar and I've played guitar for 20 years. And now I, I just want to do this Euro rack thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, people know what it is. And I remember like four or five years ago, everyone was always asking me to make a beginner's video. And uh-huh. now it's just like, just type it in. There's, I don't have one, there's but there's a million, yeah. a million and uh-huh. s- there's someone you're going to agree with as far as right, like right. teaching you the basics. <laughs> so I don't know if uh-huh. I really need to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I also think that you guys have maybe a unique vantage point in that you're also a, um, a successful pedal company that, you know, was around with what I'm, I'm just wrote down as the boutique boom. Yeah. Um, you know, and were you were you working for WMD kind of in the middle of that? What, what was that? Probably like 2010 to 2015 when all, like all you guys and Earthquaker and Cooper and you know everybody yeah. started blowing up and Chase Bliss and. Well, it, it was an interesting thing for us because we, you know, the 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 it was called the Super Fat Man. It was our, I think our <laughs> third pedal or our second pedal. That was the one. That kind of made William realize he could actually make a business out of it. And Mm -hmm. that was the one that um, Analog Haven bought a bunch of and said, all right, like, you know, we're going to, you guys are doing this now. 
And um, that was before, that was like when Cadlin Bread was around. Like, I mean, Cadlin Bread's still around, but that was when the right. boutique pedals were like Cadlin Bread and um, Wampler and uh, Keeley. And I remember uh-huh. those guys being like the big ones or like the only ones I really knew of. And then we got in, we, we made the Geiger counter, which blew up as far as right. um, just like a versatile pedal that a lot of people were into. And, um, but we also just kept getting complaints that our pedals were too hard to use and that the Mm. Geiger counter had too many sounds. And, you know, once you turn one knob, you'll never get back to where you were and all this stuff. And so that's why we got into modular. I think it was Sean at analog Haven was like, yo, you guys need, if, if that's what you're hearing, you need to get into this Euro rack thing. Uh And so we did that. And I got it when I started working at the company, we were pretty focused on Eurorack and we honestly I feel like we kind of watched the pedal boom happen kind of around us while we were just working on the Geiger Counter Pro for four years. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well that's you that's know. interesting because I think uh, I think of something like the Geiger Counter. I mean I could see where people could make that complaint. Um I've I've owned one. Um I got rid of most of my pedals to fund my modular addiction. But right. um I thought it was a, f- a fantastic pedal, and it's definitely one of the pedals that you think of when you think of, you know, like big boutique brands and stuff. So, yeah, I guess I guess I was just wondering if you feel like um, do you see similarities in what's happening now with with uh, the boutique boom? Um, how do, how is it similar? How is it different? Um, uh, with the modular thing. I mean, yeah. I think that it's it's very similar. I mean, we are seeing more and more YouTube influencers pop up where that was the thing with the guitar pedal land. I mean, we, um, we're seeing a lot more, um, you know, there's a lot more competition and there's just a lot more marketing going into everything. It's, it's, all, it's becoming way more artsy and like... You know, mm-hmm. I love what uh, Richard at Pittsburgh is doing with his like oh, yeah, vintage inspired videos. You know, like he's really like carving like a visual niche that you think of now when you think of their company. You don't totally. just think of the silver panel and the and the silver knob anymore. You think of this whole uh, this whole new you know faded out imagery that he's doing and like uh, mm-hmm. flowers and stuff and. Yeah. He's really like he's really working on on that. You know, Make Noise has been doing it from the beginning, but I feel like a lot of other people are kind of catching up with with um yeah. trying to uh match that visual aesthetic, you know. Yeah, totally. I love what Peter Spears doing for the Instagram account at Make Noise. And I also got to say I love what Ross Fish is doing with uh oh, Moffin's Eve. Yeah, it's Ross fucking is so bananas. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um <laughs> I saw a, a video that someone else posted that was so great because it like they had gotten his new I think it was a Stargazer pedal and they uh-huh. like they just filmed themselves looking for a place to put it on the table and then just like walked into the kitchen and threw it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like so worried like where am I going to put this? Where do I put it? Where do I put it? Oh, this is a good place and just throws it in the trash and it was just like. That just fit, like, that fit the way that Ross has been doing all that stuff just so perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are doing really cool stuff. Um, and just the idea-wise and, you know, what kind of functions are coming out. Like, I I love what Eric Schlappi's doing. You guys are 
really i feel like you guys have a really solid um rhythm like if you want to yeah. if you want to hold down rhythm go to wmd right um and it's it's when you mentioned that you were a drummer and then you just mentioned that you're part of helping design stuff now like how much did how much do you think like i mean obviously playing drums probably really influenced like what you're looking for in a Eurorack system. Yeah, I mean, a ton of it. I mean, my music is very rhythmic. I love, you know, um, I love uh, Latin music and African music. Like, I love African disco and Latin disco and all this stuff. Like, I, I got into Brazilian music for a long, for like two years straight. I just didn't listen to anything but it. And um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the rhythmic aspect of that is huge. And then when it came to like designing this stuff, like the Metron, the original idea, um, that we had started talking about was basically I had been working with like the electron rhythm and a couple other things. And I felt like every time I wanted to make something new, I had to stop, like I had to stop the sequencer and then move on. Whereas like when you're playing in a band, it's just like if the drummer just keeps playing, you can just keep trying new ideas, you know? Um, right. And so that was kind of the the thing with Metron where it was like, all right, the original idea was just a 16-step sequencer that you could see as many tracks as possible at a time, so four tracks at a time, and then you can program one uh, one pattern while another one's playing, so that way you can make a B section on the fly. And the original idea was just that with, like, no saving just 16 steps, like the most basic thing that we could think of. And then it turned into the, now it's, you know, 256 steps, max pattern length. There's <laughs> way too many save spots. There's eight banks of 64 save spots. Um, <laughs> it's not just two patterns. It's five that you can edit on the fly while something else is playing. And then, you know, there's triplet grid, there's bursts, there's gates, there's all that stuff. And then now with Volterra, um, there's CV. So it's just like, I mean, I don't, I don't have any other sequencers in my system now. Um, cause it's all just in that ecosystem. And then with the drums, the actual drum modules, we talked a lot about how you play the drums when it came into how we should sequence these modules. So the idea with the crucible, you know, it has um, a knob that basically replicates stick type and then another knob that replicates the angle of the stick on the cymbal. So if you're hitting the top of the cymbal versus hitting the edge, you're going to get a different sound. And then there's three different positions you can hit the cymbal. You can hit the edge of it um, on the top. You can hit the middle in between the bell and the cymbal, or you can hit the bell with the side of the stick. And... All of that happens with just two triggers, so you can hit one trigger for the edge, one trigger for the middle, and then two triggers for the bell. So now you can kind of replicate a, a drummer moving around on the cymbal. Oh, that's really cool. That's super cool. Um, yeah, I was just... Are you familiar with Greg Fox? Oh, He's yeah. He's a New York guy. Yeah, I just talked to him yesterday, and it's, it's, it's interesting to think of all the different approaches, like coming from being a drummer versus guitarist, or if, you know, some people you know, started as, you know, doing DJ stuff. And I think having different people from these different backgrounds associated with these different companies, um, it just, it, it creates that versatility that makes this like, I don't know, it's just like a really exciting scene. There's so much cool shit going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, um, 
Oh man, what? Roland, I got a dog. I got two dogs in here. <laughs> someone just came in, so he's making me know that someone came in. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I think Don Jarrow or Don Garrow. I can't. I don't know. I never knew how to pronounce it. But um, Zach, I think is uh, Zach from 4MS, and um, like he would play. I mean, he still does it, but he plays the drums, and the drums influence the Eurorack. You know, uh-huh. and then we've got. Um, I'm not really sure what Greg's doing as far as if he's is he playing the drums along with with the Eurorack or is he even he kind of does everything man. now yeah um, yeah he I, he he does a little bit of all all of that he he has like this system that his friend built for him he's got this album um, it's called the Gradual Progression where he's just got different something like eight points on each you know, percussive. Oh yeah. The sensory percussion stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. And I think he has started to integrate that with modular. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're traveling, you like, it seems like from following you on Instagram and just seeing all the videos that you're constantly traveling. Is that true? Uh, I mean, I, I travel quite a bit. I think, uh, I mean, it could be more, um, but yeah, I, there's you know there's like a there's two or three busy seasons of the year, so I'm definitely traveling quite a bit. Um, Super Booth is a big year, is a big one of the year, and that um, usually I take some time before and afterwards to to either travel for vacation or um, go to go to t- go to different towns and do like in stores and stuff. And then um, now you know with all the different synth festivals popping up it's that's like really the thing is that there's more and more events popping up we're kind of we've been joking around at the shop it's like if you want to start a synth company like screw that just start a synth event you'll probably make more money (laughs) 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 i don't know if that's true but you know (laughs) uh well i know you'll uh you'll definitely stress yourself out um, yeah watching the velocity people do it they they killed it but they worked really hard on that and uh I met you very briefly there. I'm really bummed that I didn't get to spend more time with you, but we were both kind of at our, I was helping after later right. de- demo stuff. So we were kind of doing our thing and talking to people, but were you able to hang out and, and watch uh, some of the performances that night or did you have to take off? Um, I was around. I saw, um, I saw Ray's performance, which was really cool. Um, mm. And then I saw, um, I saw Eusebi from, con- from uh, Control Voltage yep. and, uh, and Kevin um, Kevin Myers' performance. And I'm yep. forgetting all of these people's artists' names, so I apologize. Trust Anchor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Infinite, or no, Sunfall. Sunfall, yeah. And I think, what is Ray? Ray, I think Ray has a couple old names, but Ray's badass, man. I yeah. Love, I love Ray. She's a lot of fun to hang out with. Um, so yeah, what did you? What was your impression of that? Because I mean, for me, I hadn't, I haven't been to a synth fest, but it, it felt, it felt crazy. And Banna Hefar told uh, my wife and I the next day at the little get together, like she's like a portal opened. Last <laughs> <night>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dur- I saw her set too, and a portal definitely opened during her set. I had a, I was blown away because I've, I've seen me her too, play man. a few times, and that set was just like there's like so much like hip hop, just like down tempo beats thrown in there, but like with a system that seemed to not just have like individual drums and sequencing. I was, that was crazy. Yeah. Um, that was probably the craziest set I've seen live 
uh, to date on modular. Yeah. It, it, I was actually absolutely floored. My wife, too. We just couldn't stop talking about it for a few days. Yeah, I think that was one of the first sets in a while that I, like, ran up to, like, you know, pushed to the front to see what gear was being used and uh-huh. and everything. And then the fact that she was playing on the floor and it was just so packed, everything was... It was super fun. Another set, uh, Eric Schlappi's set was super good. Dude, I'm playing with him the next day after tomorrow. He's he's just one of my favorite people in the scene to hang out with and one of my favorite performers. He's yeah. so fucking good. Yeah, he's so good and he he had he had so much fun and he's you know, he's like the humblest guy ever. He's just so, you know, sweet. Uh-huh. And yeah. so that was really fun. Um, as far as the show goes, I mean I had one complaint and that it and and it was that the the trade show aspect wasn't long enough and it's like mm-hmm. it actually could have been two days and i will just tell you that's the first time i've literally ever said that because every really? other show <laughs> i've ever been to i'm just like man why is this thing four days long it only needs to be two or yeah why does this thing yeah. you know 10 hours like i have to be here for <laughs> this long then i have to go to shows you know it's like most shows by the end of them you're um you're just burnt out, and Velocity totally. was uh, left me wanting more, which is, you know, kind of like a good a good record that's only 25 minutes long. You know, it's just like right, right. Well, uh, I don't know if you've conveyed any of this to Bradley, but he he's he's definitely collecting this kind of data for. Um, you know, if if they do another one, yeah, I, I, I don't know how big the if is. I don't think the if is that big, but it, right. it is an if right now. But I was kind of on the same pages you thinking like i missed a bunch of performers because i was still in the trade show i don't i right. i mean i i think it should have been longer I, I don't think they could have done it any other way than having it overlap a little bit but um i think and this isn't my idea this might have been something bradley talked to me about but like do the trade show a different day at a different site yeah you know um, well, there's something that, that was great cool. about that, though, because it's I mean, the 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 teardown thing was kind of a, a bummer because it was like I still had people that wanted to talk to me and we were and like I, I because I was from out of town. I mean, I literally like just stayed there and kept talking to people and, and just watched all the tables get pulled up around me. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like tearing <laughs> down the event and I'm like still giving demos being like, as soon uh-huh. as you guys need to pull power, just let me know. But I'm going to keep doing this cause it's very valuable for me. And, right, um, right. I, and, and the fact that I didn't have to go anywhere, like I just went out to dinner and came back to the place that I was comfortable in. I really enjoyed that. And the size of the venue was just perfect. Um, yeah, that whole back room where the uh, trade show is is relatively new. They okay, kind of opened that section up. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that they had shows in both rooms, you know, like uh, like you said, I did miss a couple performances because I was watching someone else. You know, when I was watching Eric play, I missed. Um, I think I missed Dan Annie or somebody else, and. Um, you know that yeah i was running back and forth <laughs> yeah there was there was definitely like where when eric played i was in the room all the way like deep there's no way i was getting back out <laughs> so i watched the whole thing and um like i said it was great but i miss a couple people and you know that's but that's whatever i think that that's kind of how it goes i just like yeah i was happy with it i thought it was a really good show and um i hope they do it again cuz i'll definitely come back yeah yeah i think i think there was something to having it like 
I think it added to kind of the the intensity and the excitement having it all be on one day in one place. Right. Um, but yeah, I was I was just like like seeing you. I was like, sweet, I get to finally meet and talk to Alex. But we talked for like a second, right? And exactly. then you know, just kind of like, and there were, that happened with a couple other people. I just and there was all these sets that I wanted to see. But um, speaking of scene, mm-hmm. local scenes, it seems like your Colorado scene's pretty good. Your Denver oh, scene. Oh yeah, I I'm really uh, happy with it right now. It's yeah, and it seems like you guys are kind of maybe one of the the big linchpins in it, or yeah, I mean we're just pushing, man. I like the when I started at WMD, no one knew who we were here. Um, the past like three years, I've been kind of on like a local evangelism kind of thing because. <laughs> um, I mean, we have dealers worldwide. We have like over sixty total dealers. And, um, you know, we've got people in, um, we've got people in Japan, we've got people in Europe, we've got people everywhere. And we, Denver was like seemingly our last market. (laughs) Like we just, we have a good, we, we got into a guitar pedal store this year because we Uh had another one and uh, unfortunately he closed because you know he was in a really hot part of town and when the influx of people happened um he got uh priced out of the neighborhood so he he shut down and then we just recently in the past few months uh luigi's modular has popped up and um chris was just doing he did some cables and he did a bunch of pop-up shops and he he did really he did some really cool stuff and he did the Colorado Modular Synth Festival which really told us how many people were around um that are into this stuff but you know we didn't really have many people doing this stuff and so what i decided to do was start freak boutique and freak boutique was based on the idea of we all need to play more we're not getting as many shows. I'm not getting as many shows. I was in a touring band at one point. I used to play all the time, and I was like, not playing. So we all need this experience, and um, the and we need to figure out who's in this scene. So what we did is, is we said we're going to do this modular synth open mic night. We're going to have five or six performers, depending on how many we can actually get to sign up. I'll choose them at random. And we'll do 15-minute sets, and then we'll do the Q&A afterwards. So I talk to people and ask them about their setup and about what influenced them or what, you know, I just come up with. I just do a little interview afterwards. And the very first one was all people that worked at WMD performed. It was like (laughs) five people. And I think total people that showed up was eight. And Uh we had... You know, the locals at it's it's at a bar that's right down the street from my house. I know the owner, she's one of my best friends. All of the staff is our our age and they are really great people. Like we do Thanksgiving every year. I mean, we're just it's our neighborhood bar, it's our cheers, you know. Uh-huh. And so that's where I decided to do it because I figured if I can get people to start showing up, I can get the bar a little bit of money and um We do it on the second Monday of every month, and we do it on a Monday because there's no competition. Right, You know, it's like we do it at 8 o'clock. It's early enough that you can come out, get home by 11 or whatever, and and it doesn't, like, ruin your week. And then at the same time, competition, 
as far as other things going on. Plus like for ourselves, you know, I'm all pretty much always in town on a Monday. So right, we right. knew we could make it work. And so in the past two years, we've grown from, you know, those eight people to now it's a consistent 40 to 60. That's awesome. And, That's, um, and for a, like a Denver sized city for modular music, I think that is like pretty damn successful. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, the bar is really happy. You know, I'm like, yeah, uh, we're getting them some good sales every, every Monday, which would just be, uh, you know, there wouldn't be that many people. There'd be maybe 10 people in the bar if right. it weren't for that night on a Monday night. And then, um, we, uh, yeah, so that's been going well. And then we, the performing sign up, what we did now is everybody signs up at the event for the next month. And then uh -huh. I do a rolling sign up. So the more you sign up, the more, t uh, you know, the, the less you get picked, the more chance you have of being picked the next oh, time. That's cool. That's cool. And so now my pool that I choose from went is, you know, instead of six names, it's, uh, it's at 32 right now. Damn. And, Damn, um, that's awesome. with a couple repeats in there. So, you know, but there's like 25 people that, that I get to choose from every, every week. So the talent pool is growing bigger. We're exposing a lot of people to play for the first time. Um, we just had our first uh, female solo performer. Her name's Jenny. She works at WMD. It was her first time playing module, modular or playing music in front of people ever. That's so and, cool. And um, she got to do that. That was just like so – and her set was fire, like so cool. So, um, you know, we're, ex we're getting people exposed to playing live and um, that's been really great. And then – and that's for the nerds, you know. That one's like – when people show up randomly at the bar, most of the time they end up staying super late. And then when I talk to them, they're like, we aren't into music. We aren't into electronic music. We aren't into this modular thing, but we stayed the entire time because the music's cool. And then you, with the Q and a, you teach us a little bit and yeah. like we it's get inherently to learn fascinating. a little bit, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's been a pretty successful aspect and then we do another event on the third Friday of every month called Patched Out. And that one is a uh, dance party. And that one we tried to format like a DJ night. So there's four one-hour-long sets, and we do the two-table thing. So that uh -huh. way we do um, seamless transitions. So it's more about uh -huh. the music than it is about like a show or a performer it's like it's basically a DJ night, but with everything's being performed live. Okay. Now, do you notice um, maybe some some attendance there that isn't maybe necessarily modular people, but just more dance music people? Yeah, that one is. It's starting to get a name for itself, and um, we're getting. You know, Denver has an amazing house music scene, and like uh, the, the like the DJ scene and stuff. We've got some really cool clubs. And then one of the promoters is just crushing it and bringing good people to town all the time. And there's lots of uh, local DJs that make really good music. So those guys are modular curious. And a lot of times those guys will come out to um, uh, or our, the representation of that scene is starting to grow at Patched Out. We're starting to see a lot more of those guys show up. 
That's interesting. That's something I hadn't really thought about, but it makes sense. Um, like you said, these people who are modular curious, who are maybe, well, you got like somebody like uh, Daedalus who, right. who made the, the jump, right? And um, I'm, I'm seeing modular creep more and more into the background of, of popular culture, right. uh, mostly kind of as a, as a punching bag. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where it, where it's going to go. Um, I mean, I know it's been around forever, but I, I think, um, more people are performing with it yeah. right now than ever. Yeah, most definitely. And that's kind of where we're at is just kind of with the dance party vibe, just trying to get people that one, you know, we promoted on resident advisor. We were promoted on the, the Colorado house music channels and, that one, the, the point of it is to, again, get us to play every month, make sure that we're playing more and more and more. Um, and then we're challenging ourselves to play for longer. But then this one is more about uh, ex exposing the public to the modular scene and to live electronic music. We had some people at the last Patched Out that had just moved to Denver they had just found out at the bar about the bar and they were watching me set up. So they were asking me what we were going to do. And I was telling them about it and they were literally like live electronic music. What does that even mean? You know, like we've never seen <laughs> uh -huh. anyone that's not a DJ and I'm like, well, you know, live PAs have been going on forever. Um, uh -huh. but these people have never been to like a hardware based rave or anything like that. It's just always CDJs. And so they were like, and they stayed all night. They had a great time. But, you know, that's we so cool. that's one of those things where that's the goal is to get people that don't necessarily aren't necessarily interested in the in the gear or anything like that to just come out and understand that, oh, the music's good and it's danceable and we can have a good time. Yeah. And that makes sense as somebody who's working for a gear manufacturer. You're probably gear talked out sometimes and just want oh, to yeah. be like, no, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like yesterday I was talking to Greg Fox yesterday and we we're getting towards the end. And I was like, well, do you have anything else you want to talk about? And he's like, well, we haven't really talked about modular very much. And I was like, yeah, I can only talk about modules for so long. I've do been doing this for almost two years now. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's um, like, you know, we're all about the music. I mean, that's WMD really wants people to know that that's what we are focused on is, is making useful modules that are fun to that are fun to perform with, and uh, that you can use. You know that you want to use. Um, mm -hmm. We make stuff that makes crazy sounds. We make stuff that you know sounds really really great. But you know above and beyond that, it's just like we want stuff that you want in your system, and and I, that's you know, and in order for us to do that, we need to be playing live as much as possible. And so yeah. for patched out. Uh, the software engineer and him and I are, you know, we, we design a lot of the stuff just back to back talking to each other and it's him and I that are the residents, if you will. And we play every month and then we have two guests. So it's, but it yeah. makes us play every single month, which is really good for the gear. Cause you know, we're updating firmware two hours before the set and then showing up with a fresh <laughs> firmware being like, I hope it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you're playing live sets a lot of the times when you're traveling to these trade shows and whatnot, right? Uh, yeah. Like you're trying to do it more partial. too. Yeah. So I think that's, I think you guys have a really good model. Like, um, you know, like 
just just like the oh you the headset guy i mean i imagine you've been called the headset guy yeah you know like <laughs> and and i wanted to ask i'm not i would promise i will never show myself on camera but i want to get something like that for when i film demos and i've got my hands down oh and yeah I'm, and i'm my face isn't on the mic so i promise i'm not going to try to steal the headset guy thing but what is the model of that thing <laughs> It is the Audio Technica BPHS one. Sweet, and Thank I mean, you, I <laughs> so I have a friend um, who makes music under the name Brother Tiger, and he's in New mm-hmm. York, and he's a solo guy. He's he's using a little bit of Eurorack in his performances now, and he does like the chill wave kind of thing, and um, he the last time I saw him play live, he had a headset without headphones but he just had a headset and he was playing uh-huh. the whole thing and he, afterwards i was like dude this is before i got mine and i was like uh-huh. dude i love the headset thing he's like yeah man uh-huh. it kind of makes you feel like an aerobics con- aerobics instructor <laughs> but as soon as you get over that it is so freeing well i yeah i would like to have one even for um yeah i i, I rarely do video um but like over with a Skype chat, yeah. but it might be nice to have so I can just have free hands for doing whatever. And sometimes I, you know, I'm, I'm bumping the mic and shit. Right. Um, well, we bought these so, for our for our podcast because we did a podcast for about a year, and we bought okay. these for that. And then we just had them left over. We haven't been doing the podcast, and so I just started using it because I I was like setting up a condenser in the room and stuff, and I was like, yeah. all right, I'll just put the condenser on Omni, and then I'll just put it in the middle of the room. And it's the first time I did that, you can hear my studio at home's in a shed, like, uh, so you can hear the space heater turn on and you can hear all Uh this stuff. And I was like, (laughs) this isn't going to work. Yeah. That's why I'm using a 58 like handheld right now. Cause I live right under the flight path of SeaTac airport okay. and Boeing field is right across the street. So it's like, I live in pretty much the loudest area of Seattle. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm getting a sure SM seven B, which I think is kind of going to be the best of both. Oh worlds yeah. For, those are so great. Um, so one more thing about the scene, we're actually getting to be about, um, to the point of patch challenge, but, uh, being in Denver, I mean, how many people are traveling from other parts of Colorado, maybe even Wyoming, Montana, Idaho to these events because there's nothing going on in their area? Yeah, well, so that's that's a good thing to talk about the Colorado Modular Synth Society. So there's a website, coloradomodularsynthsociety.com. They have a Facebook page, and they do monthly meetups that we host here at the factory. And those okay. ones are the things that people travel for. We've got people coming from Fort Collins. People from Nebraska have, have come. Oh, wow. Um, you know, randomly, someone from the Modular Houston group was in Denver, so he came out to one. Um, we've had... Um, and then Chris from Luigi's Modular and, and David from Colorado Modular Synth Society, they put together the Colorado Modular Synth Festival, which was at a like the Belmar shopping center. And it's like mm-hmm. a big, you know, just uh walking courtyard for, for like a shopping mall. And uh-huh. they set up a stage and went from like two to 8 PM. And there were people from everywhere at this thing. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, so it wasn't necessarily like a, a trade show, but we had a booth set up. And we had people from Carbondale, Colorado, which is a small mountain town, and that's um, 
that's a pretty hefty drive. And then we mm-hmm. had people from the surrounding states coming to those kind of things. I think for Patched Out and Freak Boutique, most of the people that come from, come to that are, I think, the furthest away. Unless someone's, like, specifically coming out is, like, the regulars come from Boulder, which is about 40 miles away. Okay, I was going to I was going to guess that Boulder might be the city that people come from the most yeah. college town and and whatnot. Um and you also, I mean, probably anybody whose mind works in such a way that they get into modular and they're in that area probably ended up moving to Denver anyways. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Maybe, well, I there's quite a few people from the Boulder County that are just into it and you know, that's um you know, there's a suburb called Louisville and uh there's, you know, there's just good jobs for tech people in that area and, um, and in Boulder too. And then, uh, Boulder is just a fantastic place to live. And, uh, it looks beautiful. I mean, it's really expensive. So I'd say if you can afford to live in Boulder, you can afford modular. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, it's a cool, you know, it's a really cool place. And, you know, there's just there, we actually, the college thing is is a new thing we're trying to get more and more college students out but our mm-hmm. scene is is actually you know is is still quite a bit older um, yeah that's yeah that's something i've been and curious over, about you know? and, mm-hmm. and been meaning to uh say on the show so thanks for the reminder but is, if anybody out there is listening and you're in college i'd like to know because it does seem like it's, I mean, there's a couple people in, in their, well, there's quite a few people in their 20s yeah. in uh, our scene, but it's, it's, I'd say like the average age is probably 35 or something. Right. Um, and we have, you know, but, we, we've been doing some talks at the call at the local colleges like CU Denver, and we've been working with uh, DU, Denver University, and, and I've done some talks in CU Boulder. And we've been working with these, with, uh, like instructors, but the instructors are just, and the professors are literally just starting to get into it. So they're just starting to Uh show the kids. But a lot of times, you know, they're just like, this is okay. Here's my personal rig. I'm going to bring it in for a day and show you what a sequencer is, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I bring mine in. Actually, I see, I teach a sound distribution class, uh, at the electrical apprenticeship. So I'll bring my, my synth in Mm -hmm. because there's like a, a section on, um, on effects. So I just like, rather than tell them about reverb and delay, I'm just like, Hey, this is what it sounds like. You know what it is. Um, Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, I got a word, I got a word matching for you or uh, a random pairing here, but we can, we can generate another one if you don't like it. But I thought maybe as a drummer, this might be cool. Uh, mathematical material. Okay. All right. So here's where I usually put in like another demo or something. And then we, we jump forward 15 minutes in time to talk to the guest about the past patch they made. And then we listen to the patch, but something dawned on me, which I, I no one ever emailed me about. And I kind of wonder how no one has suggested this. So maybe it's not that great of an idea, but here's what I'm going to try format switch. I give them the adjective and noun. I play the patch that they made and then play the part that we talked about the patch. I feel like that makes more sense. So I'm going to try that. And if you love it, uh, I probably won't hear from you. And if you absolutely hate it, I might hear from one of you. But uh, let me know if you like this format switch. So let's listen to Alex Anderson's Mathematical Material.
Um, so I usually like to ask people what uh, how it felt to have a bit of a time crunch, but for somebody who plays live as often as you do and how much patching you do, I imagine it probably wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of have a you know a way of of putting things together that gets me at least started, so I can go I can just like mob real quick. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, the the time crunch thing is actually I feel like a lot of times more um inspiring than not you know whenever i uh, like we were talking about for my events with patched out i a lot of times when i'm like really really prepared i feel like those are the worst sets that i do and when i just show up <laughs> like i'm just gonna make it up on the spot i like actually am more happy <laughs> do you ever patch like as you're playing as you're starting the show um I used to do that, like I used to show up not patched and just patch up like on the table while while uh, setup was happening, but I don't really do that anymore. I show up like fully patched, but I definitely, there's been lots of times where it's like, oh, I, I could do this if I only plug this in. So I always bring cables and have them on the table. Yeah, yeah. I bring cables, but for the most part, I, I don't really use them. Um, and I have, a, yeah. I have a live set kind of half built for the next day after tomorrow which mm-hmm. I'm a little stressed about, but at the same time, I feel like I have enough there to where I can, I can make it work. Right. Um, but so I'm, I'm curious, you work with, uh, when you're doing like your, your demos and stuff, you've got what, 12 U usually? Um, yeah, either six or 12. Okay. And, uh, what do you I've been going for, like, back down to six. Okay. For so demos you can pull, and stuff. How long can you, how many minutes can you pull out of six U? Oh, 6U, it depends. I mean, I've been going through lots of different changes. So uh-huh. right now, my actual live setup is 6U and the Pioneer SP16. And okay. with that setup, I can do an hour. Wow. Um, yeah, I have to build a 30-minute a, a set um, on 7U, and I'm like, can I do this? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if it weren't for the SP16, I would have some different modules in my case. I mean, the thing about that, that uh, th- having a sampler that's that powerful um, is number one. If I have songs, you know, I have songs in there. So in case I'm ever like running out, I could just play something off the sampler. But um, for the most part, I use it for loops um, f- to do like drum loops and shakers and and things like that. And I found when I was doing them with the assimilator um, in the case, I always needed. 12U because one, I needed the assimilators big, but two, I needed, I wanted like filters and VCAs and envelopes and everything for the multiple voices. And Mm -hmm. so I find that using an external drum machine to give me that, I just really like that like professional shakery kind of sound. That's what I use a lot. Yeah. I've been um, thinking about, I actually got a Digitact a while ago because I was thinking about moving all my percussion outside of my rack, but it kind of just sat there and I didn't use it very often. Um, so I've, I, yeah, I've experimented with different things. Do I want to use, um, move um, effects out of the rack, which I don't. I love having right. CD control over my effects. But I just got this from your buddy Mitch, the Zoya. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so I think the Zoya is going to be a really powerful thing for when I'm switching in between projects on my performer uh, mm-hmm. sequencer so i can play a track end of the track play something i made on um zoya while i'm loading the next thing up and i think that's the way i'm gonna that's my that's my uh plan of attack for my yeah. 30 minute set 
Yeah, for sure. That's great. I mean, I the the drum machine thing, I still use Metron and all of our drums as my main drums. And then I just use the, like, I don't have a 909 hi-hat module or sample in my rack. So when I want to uh-huh. just, like, go classic 909 hats, I just use the sampler for that. And then, um, like I said, I love, like, Latin Latin drum beats and stuff like that. So a lot of times I just use the the sampler to, to include those. And just, I mean, they're, I'm just playing loops and... The past couple weeks, what I've been doing is every night I go home and I'm not even in the modular. I'm just recording. I've been making my own drum loops. So I just got a microphone set up and I've got, I have a drum set. So I've, I've made my own breaks. And then um, I made a bunch of just like, you know, shaker loops and, and tambourine loops. And I just spent like two weeks making a whole sample pack for myself. Yeah, that's something I've I've been wanting to do. I before I got into modular, I basically just created my own samples um the, to play on like the APC for live. Mm-hmm. Um but I have I I just I've gotten samplers and gotten rid of samplers in the modular world because I just find I don't take the time to make them. Um I need to like just get a cabin in the woods for a weekend by myself and just go up there. And yeah. <laughs> it out. Yeah, my friend is letting me borrow a Bitbox right now and it's a really great module, but I also don't make the best sounding samples, so I need them to be. I need to like filter them and stuff to make <laughs> yeah. to like get them to fit in the in the in the mix, and uh-huh. so then then the bitbox becomes much bigger, uh, and you know assimilator too. Any any sort of sampler becomes a lot bigger um, when I'm starting to like need to process the samples that I've made. Right. So let's talk about your patch really quick. Uh, that you that you just made for what was the word mathematical material? How did the words influence your your process? So the the first the first word mathematical, I just thought about. Um, I was just thinking about different like equations I could use or different things I could um, use on Metron. So I like you know I was talking about earlier math rock and different time signatures. One of the things that Metron can do is different is, you know, the polymetric thing. So different um, uh, lengths. So what I decided I wanted to do on that end was I wanted to be I wanted to do something that was four on the floor. And then I wanted to have a section that's going to be polymetric. So I just took the, the, the I made a sequence and then I took that sequence and just. Um, made each thing except for the kick drum a different kick le- a different pattern length just to hear what that sounds like. Um, and then material, I was just trying to think of ways to make sounds of membranes. So what I was thinking about for material was more of like membrane things. And so I plugged uh, an auxiliary send out of the mixer into the crucible symbol because it has an audio input so you can... Um, excite the mesh, which is just a, a, a delay line mesh, which is uh, basically simulating a physical plane. Um, mm-hmm. So you can excite that with anything. So I have that on it as an auxiliary send so I can run my baseline or my claps into that. And then that wasn't, I mean, that was cool, but it, it didn't quite give me what I really wanted for material. So I stopped my sequencer and just put a gate high into my baseline and just made a drone, and I've got um, PWM and FM, so I have two oscillators. Um, we're just listening to one, 
and then I have the sine wave going of a second oscillator going into the FM amount, and then the triangle wave going into the pulse width. Um, and I just and then I got mathematical again, where I love pulse width when you take two audio rate oscillators at the same frequency or the same or the frequency same frequency but just an octave up from each other when you go on the spectrum at least when you go full pulse width modulation when they're added together they create um like a harmonized sound so you're no longer just hearing the the fundamental and you're not just hearing the um the frequency you're playing at with like another one on top of it it actually like adds together to create like a, a fifth on top and i don't know the science behind that but I'm sure that there's a mathematical <laughs> equation to explain it. So I yeah. figured, you know, the addition that I'm doing of the two knobs, the of, of the two, the oscillators was kind of um, where I was thinking of more math would come from. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. It sounds like it's pretty uh, rhythmic based, which I, I kind of anticipated. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're pretty much closing in here. Is there anything that you want to scream from the modular mountaintops or plug or anything? Well, um, Crater is coming out next week, so I don't know when this is released, but we've got our new kick drum module that's coming out. Um, Volterra is out now, and um, we've got a couple more tricks up our sleeve for early next year, so just stay tuned. And, uh, yeah, if you don't follow me on YouTube, that's pretty much the one thing I'm trying to plug right now. I do tons. I do videos. I try and do every week. Sometimes I skip a week just because life, but... um, yeah, we're doing lots of those, and I, you know, it's not just tutorials. It's patched, patched, um, you know, tricks and tips, any sort of um, like concepts that I that I that I think people need to know about. And, and uh, it's just uh, I'm trying to make more of a informational uh, YouTube channel that is fun to watch, but also you know, very it's going to be dub- very WMD centric because it is the WMD channel. So that is WM Devices on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, I highly recommend you guys check that out because I watched your um like kind of the the building the live set um tips and tricks and stuff and I think that that is something that people are um I just hear a lot of people talking about the the approach to live, how do you pull off live? It's something I'm curious about. So yeah, definitely yeah. check that channel out. Yeah, and I've been experimenting a ton with hybrid setups, you know, using Bitwig and a Microsoft Surface, so I'm going to do some videos on that soon. The SP16 has been a huge thing. And then um, the the next kind of like I've done one on drops, but I'm I'm I've got a couple new ideas for drops, so that'll be that'll be coming out in the next like month or two. Sweet, looking forward to that. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a really good time talking to you. And there it was, our first episode of 2020. Thank you so much, Alex, for helping us ring in the new year. Um, and thank you so much for your support, everyone listening. Thank you uh, to everyone who's helping out on Patreon. If you would like to help, go to patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Thank you to Eschatonic Modular, uh, Patchworks, Empress Effects, After Later Audio, Acid Rain Technology, Instro, and DivKid. Check out Oct. It's cool. It's, it's Demos are coming. So this track that you hear right now is something that I made with Acid Rain Technology uh, the switchblade and the the oscillator you hear there is the chainsaw um 
And so you'll notice there are two 64 sequences that are kind of going back and forth. So it's, it's, uh, it's similar as the drum demo that I did earlier. And then I pass that, uh, the extra switch channel I use for some modulation sources that I molted and put into all sorts of different filters. So you're going to hear this kind of start going crazy. Um, so we're just going to end on a track slash demo. I hope you enjoy this. Uh, and don't forget to check out acidraintechnology.com to learn more about the switchblade, navigator, and chainsaw.